You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Half Hour with Jeff and Richie, where we peel back the curtain of the shows on and off Broadway. Today, we're exploring the stormy depths of human connection in the latest revival of Tennessee Williams, The Night of the Iguana. I'm Jeff, a music and theater producer and manager. And I'm Richie, a theater director and producer. This week, we're venturing into the heart of Williams' most spiritual, profound work, performed at the Pershing Square Signature Center, the night of the iguana off-Broadway. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Half hour. Welcome to today's show, everyone. Before we get started, a gentle reminder to our listeners, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the production yet, make sure you do so before joining in on our discussion. As Richie mentioned earlier, we're unpacking a play that tackles heavy themes of faith, identity, and the search for genuine intimacy. The Night of the Iguana introduces us to a defrocked clergyman during a turbulent night at the Costa Verde Hotel. Set against the backdrop of a world at war and the last breaths of a dying poet. It's directed by a Tony-nominated Emily Mann, and it's brought to life by a stellar cast, including Tim Daly, Daphne Rubin-Vega. This production is the first off-Broadway show of our 2024 season. And for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, we have uh, Tennessee Williams has written many profound works that we've mm-hmm. seen on Broadway and off-Broadway. The Night of the Iguana has been on Broadway. There's been a film adaptation. Um, and this is the off-Broadway Midtown Manhattan revival that's currently playing at the Pershing Square Signature Center through La Femme Theater Productions. Mm. And as I said earlier, it's directed by Emily Mann. So, Jeff, considering the historical and thematic weight of this play, we know this play is quite heavy. Uh, <laughs> yes. How do you think it resonates with contemporary audiences today in terms of the show and the plot? Hmm. I mean, I feel like that's a great question to kind of start this off because yeah. Yeah, it is super heavy. And at times, the plot, I feel like, can be a little confusing. We had recently watched the film of this, so I think it definitely helped us with understanding the story a bit more. And I feel like what the film does really nicely is they kind of take, um, like in the play, there's there's moments of like flashback that we find later on, and those flashbacks were like turned into bigger moments in the film. So for me, I feel like with contemporary audiences. I don't know. It's like it kind of feels like a story that's slightly becoming a little dated for us. And it's like it's long and it's heavy. And I don't know, like where it really sits for me in his work. It's a, it's probably definitely not my favorite of Tennessee Williams. Um, I wouldn't so. say it's my favorite of his works 
either. I, I remember watching the film with you and not really liking that very much, although I did really like Richard Burton's performance. I thought he was quite good in the film for the most part. Um, and then I thought maybe the play will be different. The play wasn't that different. It was a little different. I think some characters were more developed in the film than in the play. Mm-hmm. But I, re- I, I remember watching the film and saying, okay, what, what am I trying to, what am I supposed to be taking out of this? And then we went right. to this off-road revival and I think it was a mix of the actual Tennessee Williams play itself, but also this production, both of those elements mixed together that didn't quite do it for me. Right. There's a lot of things that I remember leaving this play and feeling, uh, what am I, what, what themes I understand the night of the iguana, the iguana could be Shannon. And that's the representation of the iguana being chained up or um, roped up as Shannon is roped up in the play. You know what? I understand that. I understand that there's definitely themes of religion. There's themes of um, connection, human connection. There's certain, there's themes of uh, Nazism. We have that couple that's also staying at the hotel and the themes that are in there. There's so many heavy, dark things, which Tennessee Williams always explores heavy, dark things. I just don't know what I was supposed to really take out of this. And I kind of found for basically a three-hour play, I didn't really find myself to be extremely moved or extremely like excited to sit here and want to, oh my gosh, we got so many things to talk about because I just didn't really know what to take out of it. Well, I think that's like part of this, why this kind of makes the story interesting at the same time, because I do there are elements of the storyline that do stand out but some of them kind of i feel like like why are they there right well yeah and i think what's interesting is what i think maybe i guess the silver lining here is the different relationships that shannon has with different people is kind of fascinating i think his relationship with daphne urban vegas character is very and her whole character is just so mysterious like there's a whole life that we need to know more about her you know uh Hannah's relationship with Shannon and how they spend so much time talking about her grandfather, but her purpose in life, his purpose in life. Then you have his relationship with the younger girl in the group and the old and Leah Delaria's character, the the head uh, choir director of the church group. There's so many different people in and out of this piece. Mm-hmm. And then I said to myself, maybe we didn't need him to have so many com- conversations with so many of those people. I don't know. I was just a little misconstrued. I was like, what? The sympathy, I didn't quite have sympathy for a lot of them, unfortunately. I don't know if that was the writing or the production or both. Right. I feel like when we were leaving, we were kind of talking about, and you're like, what, where am I supposed to have sympathy for any of these people? And I personally feel like you're kind of not supposed to have sympathy for anyone. And I think there's a bigger theme here around temptation and how do we all as people give in to temptation or deal with temptation in certain ways. Because if you look at everyone and you see them going around and you're like, oh, okay, well, this one either is tempted by alcohol or this one's tempted by love and this one's tempted by... Uh, even, uh, even sexual desire because he's accused of rape multiple times in the piece. They, he's too afraid to go home because they said that he's going to be his job's going to be taken away and he's, but then at the same time, he's trying to be a pastor still. And there is this looming theme of like, do you want to rum cocoa? Do you want to drink? Do you want to? And the, 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 the luring of that is quite mm-hmm. interesting too. It is animalistic in terms of the, the capture of the iguana, the capture of these people and how Shannon even says, I'm not giving you the keys to the bus. You can't leave. Mm-hmm. It's this mysterious hotel where no one quite knows the story of the woman who owns. So there is, I will always appreciate mystery in a play 
and letting the audience figure things out. Because what I say a lot here on this podcast is, why didn't you trust your audience? What I always will think, even though that I don't think this is Tennessee Williams' greatest work, personally, he certainly trusts his audience at all times, especially here. Because we can sit here and we can say, did you think she was this or that? Did you think he was this or that? And it wasn't beat me over the head with the message, which I will always appreciate what Tennessee Williams does. Um, But when we, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the setting of this play. We're in Puerto Vallarta. The set is by Beowulf Borat, who I I loved the set. And I I loved it. I loved the setting of it. And I loved the sound effects and the design of this mysterious rate. In the movie, they kind of, Talk And they do talk about it in the play a lot, too, how raised this is above the ocean and how you have to climb up to the top of it. It's almost like this heavenly place of escapism. The grandfather dies up at the top of the hill. There's this theme of you're going to end your life in this resort. Did, did uh, Daphne mm-hmm. Vega's character's name is Maxine. Did Maxine to create the end of her life up here with the, the men that work? There's like a lot. Is he trying to end his life up here? We know the grandfather mm-hmm. does end his life up. The iguana is trapped up there. There's a lot of like symbolism there, I think, which is quite, I think the set design was really captured that really well, along yeah. with the amazing lighting uh, by Jeff Crater, as well as the uh, sound design by Darren Hellwes. I thought all those design elements were really well done. Totally agree. I think the set was beautiful. You, we, nine times out of 10, we love a Beowulf set because yeah. it's so thought out in mm-hmm. so many different ways. And this one definitely succeeded my expectation on what the set was going to be. Mm-hmm. I do think that this set is a character and especially in this show because with it being up on the hill on the you know the cliffs of overlooking the ocean it adds a value of like when people come and go and how they come and go into your life and I think that's why it has to be elevated up a bit more because it really does give you that effect of like seeing it and saying okay now they're leaving now they're coming now they're leaving and how do you get away from this place similar to how the iguana is trying to get away multiple times Mm -hmm. so when he's here and you know and he's stuck in here and he's trapped like you were saying it it gives that value for when they need to leave the stage Mm. you know definitely for sure for sure and I, you know, one thing that I did want to kind of talk about, too, with Tennessee Williams, he he has an attachment for exploring uh, human fragility. Which character's journey struck you as most poignant in this? It's clear that it, we're supposed to kind of feel for Shannon. He's very Shakespearean in this piece. A lot of monologues, a lot of scene. Unfortunately, I didn't feel for any character. Isn't that a shame? I didn't really feel anything for most of these characters. And I hate to say this because I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but some of the acting for me wasn't really doing it. And I Mm -hmm. wasn't connecting with some of this acting. Um, You could, and then it's written well, but I, maybe I'm hesitant to say that it was, these characters were almost overly Mm -hmm. written. Like there was so, Hannah's character is so speech heavy. She is speaking so much of that play along with Tim Daly's character. And I'm like, there was a moment where I said, maybe less is more Tennessee. You know, I don't know, because I'm like, Mr. Williams, I should say, because I, I just feel like there's, I I'm feel zoning like... out. I'm zoning out half the time, and I'm not really invested in most of what's going on. I hate to say that. I really do. I do feel like Hannah, though, as the character, is the one that's supposed to have the biggest like transformation mm-hmm. almost, because she is the one that does lose her grandfather in the end. And... 
then she moves on. I think the movie actually kind of does a better job at giving that storyline. And the actress in the movie, I think, really portrays that a bit better than what we saw on Mm. this stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Moving into some creative aspects here. Richie, how do you feel like Emily Mann's direction shapes the narrative of this revival? I'm, I, once again, I found the direction to be a little stiff. It, it didn't seem like everyone was, it was a, looked like a rake stage. It didn't seem like everyone was a hundred percent comfortable on the stage, especially with moving wheel carts and wheelchairs. And Mm -hmm. it seemed clunk. It seemed a little clunky to me like oh i need to move here now oh i need to stand here now it didn't seem like at one point i just wish one of those actors came all the way down to the point of that stage that was pointed center you know coming and jetting into the audience and just sit there and just come on we're in a small off-roadway house come sit like you're in this beautiful but you don't have to stand the whole time i don't know like there was so many and then like it seemed to be a play about doors at one point, in and out, what room. And and that's not just the direction, that's the writing too. It's like, which room is Mr. Shannon in? Uh, I don't know. It just seemed like we're killing time here and spending 15 minutes talking about doors. I don't I feel well, like I there just was, didn't connect there was, with a lot of the direction of it. I do feel like there was two director choices that I was a bit confused by. One, definitely just having some of the actors go in and sit in the rooms and they're literally not doing anything back there. I had and then like you a- can kind of see them, but you kind of can't. So you're not really sure if it's a choice. Like, are we supposed to see them and be watching them? Or are we supposed to not see them at all? Because unfortunately we saw like half of them, like half the time. It was yeah. odd. Well, especially I had like a, basically a bird's eye view of Austin Peddleton in his room. And he, half the time he's just sitting there and I'm like, Oh goodness, he must be, bored out of his mind just sitting there and he's not doing anything and i'm like what i don't know if it's written that way that they're supposed to go sit in the rooms like that but it just seemed odd well in the film it's out of sight out of mind so he's sitting in the room and then all of a sudden you hear him shout the poetry and you remember he's in there writing but then when you see it yeah i don't know part of the design of the way the set was designed too yeah it's hard also there's something about the german characters that them walking on and off the stage i don't know it didn't work it was supposed to be a mysterious thing but we never addressed it so by the end we were like wait where did they go like did are we gonna like have a conversation with them i know they didn't speak those characters didn't speak english very well so there was a language barrier but i was like i understood exactly what was what the point of that was they had the radio the the nazi rise was happening and they were all concerned about what was how that was affecting them in mexico i understand but it didn't seem fully fleshed out. And I wonder if that's why it was cut from the film. Because that it was removed from the film, that whole bit. Yeah. With that. But also just the way they were directed to come on and off. Yeah. They added a sense of confusion into the show for no reason. I kind of was just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And then, and then just talking about some of these people in the show in general and considering this to be somewhat of an ensemble piece, 
Who do you think delivered a performance that really captured the essence of Williams and, and the characters that he wrote? Is there anybody kind of capturing that for you? If I'm going to give it to anyone, it's Stephanie Rubin Vega for there. I Agreed. think she was almost at, you know, a 10. Um, there was a few moments that it felt a little bit shaky, but I don't know if that's just feeding off of the cast as well, because th- I do really feel like there was at times that there was too much shakiness going on. And like, this show has already opened, so I don't understand where some of the uncomfortability was happening on uh, on the stage. And so I will say, a lot of the times I feel like she was giving what she was kind of performing with. So she's not going to be over the top if everyone else isn't giving the same as her. But with that, I do think she probably really did bring the most of, you know, Williams's essence there. And I loved the woman who played her in the movie, too. I love that character. Because I also love how mysterious it is with those two men that work there. Yeah. And how she disappears with them, and there's a whole thing there. But that's um, where it's interesting, like, going back to that word, te- tem- temptation. Because I feel mm-hmm. like she is a character that brings a lot of temptation. She's tempted by everything in general. She tries to be a good person at the same time. But at, but. But I don't know. She makes her own decisions because she wants certain mm. things. A lot, there's a lot of always wanting more in this show. And I, I also and I also feel like it's just cool to see Daphne Rubin Vega up there. He's an original Rent cast member. You know, it's great to see her doing that. And she enjoyed it well. But I would agree that was one of the stronger performances. For me. Yeah. One thing I did think stood out was the lighting design. It And it's definitely a crucial part in this play. What did you feel like the lighting did with helping the story online? I I did really like the act one ending when the storm came in because between the lightning and the storm and and then the sound effects of the animals mixed with the scenery. And I don't know if you noticed, there were things hanging in the set. And when the storm came, they were wind, like it looked like wind was being created. It really gave us the atmosphere of the beach, uh, which I thought they all design was really strong on that. Uh, But the lighting was very strong. I do agree, especially the lightning moments. I actually think probably that was the best directed scene as well at the end of Act One when he comes center and he says his final lines and it's like lightning bolt and boom. Yeah. Okay, great. We had a great directed moment there. Yeah. Definitely feel that. And yeah, I felt like the lighting did give us that kind of tropical space that we needed mm-hmm. to really feel, mm-hmm. you know. And was- and we know that the play features such a mix of despair and hope. There's so many different emotions here. How do you believe that the creative team balance these themes visually through the performances in general i don't know if they fully kind of hit the mark on the head there because i think there was times i needed to feel more and i didn't but once again jeff i there is a part of me that feels like this is theater is a collaborative effort and i've sat here before and i've said to you oh my gosh couldn't you tell that the director and the designers and the cast and the stage management were all working together and you're like yeah this didn't seem like that for me, unfortunately. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but this seemed like a read the lines, stand up there. Let's kind of just move the actors around. Oh, yeah, we need lightning here. Let's do some light. Oh, yeah. Oh, the set design. Yeah, let's just. Okay. I didn't really feel. I didn't feel a lot. And I don't think that's just Tennessee Williams' fault. I don't think that's just one director's fault. I don't think that's just one actor's fault. No, I didn't feel like this a was a team collaborative piece unfortunately. And for a three-hour play, it's very long and nothing is trimmed and nothing is cut or edited. When you see an adaptation of A Doll's House, like we saw last year, we see how trimmed up that is and modernized, but also stays to the root of the original piece. I'm not saying this, 
you know, we're seeing the original Tennessee Williams. We're not seeing an adaptation of Tennessee Williams. We're just seeing ten, a revival of it. It's a little different. But right. I wonder if things could have been. But it makes altered. you ask the question, like, why then? Like, what's the point? Is it just to bring Tennessee Williams' work and put it on the stage again? Or, like, was someone inspired by this play and they said they will want to do something different? And I don't really feel like we got something different. It was just like a let's put his play on the stage and yeah. that definitely was missing something mm. where we go back to what we were talking about earlier is a contemporary moment of like how does this resonate with today's audience because i don't know if it would fully do that because what a lot of people are doing with revivals right now are they're making changes they're inspired to do something different they're really going there and this is a show that i'm afraid needs something different it needs cuts because mm -hmm. there's a lot of text in it that's borderline like not necessary like if we hear mr shannon or shannon mr shannon <laughs> right. you know one more time you basically say just answer them yeah <laughs> and, and there's also a part of me that sits here and says i've seen long plays I've yeah. seen long plays that I don't feel like are long plays, that I, I'm with it the whole time. That it has nothing to do with just being a long play. We'll be right back. Let's jump back into things. But I do, it does kind of transfer me into the next part of this conversation, which is the experiences at the show. Yeah. So first of all, Pershing Square Theater is wonderful, beautiful space. Um, and I want to keep seeing shows there because it's like right in Midtown, but it's like beautiful, yeah. modern space. We had something happen at our performance that I really want to talk about that was quite a reminder of live theater. So a little story for you all. We're about 10 minutes from the end of the play. And all of a sudden, um, Jean Lichty is the actress who played Hannah, I believe. She yep. fell. Um, it was quite loud and quite ab abrasive. And she fell and she was on the floor. And Tim Daly, Shannon, you know, went over and helped her up. And we didn't quite know if this was an acting moment or not. And then we saw him walk her off stage. And then mm -hmm. the stage was bare. And we didn't know, once again, if it was acting or not. All of a sudden, the stage management, this was not during a preview or a dress rehearsal. This was doing a performance. Stage management got on, got on the mic and said, we have an injured actor. Please give us a few minutes to evaluate. So we were quite frightened because they, she, I don't know if it was because of a rape stage. Like her shoe was left on stage. She must have fell out of her shoe. And mm -hmm. I hope she's okay as we're recording this now. Because the, a few minutes later, stage management said she was okay, but she was unable to continue the rest of the performance. And there was only 10 minutes left. Yeah. So the in the stage manager actually came out physically to address us, which I thought was really nice and professional. And she said, "We're putting the understudy into costume. Give us a few minutes, and she's going to come out and she's going to finish the show." Who I believe was played by Dee Pelletier. Yeah. And I was, and we knew how this was going to end from the movie, so I knew that the kind of big ending was coming up. And I said, "Oh my gosh, to have to even for Tim to kind of pick it up right there and have to continue." So we we were in about a ten minute hold. Stage manager restarted the show, and then we finished the end of the show. But I just have to say, Gene was great, uh, you know, because I will say that's a lot of dialogue, you know. So Gina, I felt bad Gina had to do all that and couldn't take her bow at the end and finish the play. But Dee was amazing. And I remember leaving that play and saying, Jeff, the 10 minutes that Dee was out there doing that role, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. First of all, that's so difficult. You're out there doing this. You're picking it up. You're just out there saying the lines and finishing the show up. You were just sitting backstage. I thought she was captivating. I actually really would have wanted to see her do the whole role. No, no, no disrespect to Jean. But, no, but Dee she was did so, so, what, what's the word I'm looking for that Dee brought? I don't know. It was well, so. She actually brought the essence to the character that I think was needed. She, I, 
just her body language alone yeah, it was really wonderful. brought something because you know that character is the one who is dealing with intimacy alone because you know we hear that she hasn't really been intimate with anyone in mm. her whole mm. life and where like she's starting to show it as like her grandfather is passing away she's showing her love for him and compassion for him but also like how she's ready to go on her next journey and you just felt it i went uh, you know spo- we, i always say in the beginning spoiler alert so i'm going to give a spoiler now for those of you um <laughs> the grandfather dies at the end and that's the scene that d had to do at the very right. end after not having been out there for two and a half hours i don't know if she even ever went on ever in the run yet no she and wasn't I, that's I, what the stage manager oh said. yeah this was her first time going on doing it so the sympathy that she felt for the grandfather it was so moving to me and i said oh my gosh I saw some people leave when this fall happened and I said, Oh no, you got to kind of see how it ends. And, and just right. to stay and see. I saw, anyway, talk about experiences. It was a reminder that live theater is live and anything can happen. I'm glad that Jean is going to be okay. It was really tough to see her fall like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's a reminder of that anything can happen. And D good for you for going out there and finishing the show. The show kind of must go on as this famous saying, and they finished the show. It did put us at over three hours or three hours and 15 minutes of that point, but that's okay. We got the full, Tennessee yeah, because it, show. It, you know it's really interesting to see like because you de- never know like what is actually going to happen in live theater and it's cool and i i, I wanted to bring in something uh, in like the whole press around this show so raven snook from time out gave the show three out of five stars and said the following the night of the iguana hasn't received a major new york production in more than a quarter century and is quite different from the 1964 movie laden with poetry and symbolism it's a lot like a its central character challenging shunned yet worthy of a redemption that this production can't quite deliver. So I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit, because I feel like we're kind of sitting in the same boat as Raven here. But do you agree with, you know, what was written there? I do, because I especially agree with this part, worthy of redemption, because any Tennessee Williams play or any play that was successful at one point in time is always worthy of redemption. Oklahoma was worthy of redemption, and they did quite a bit of change on that revival, mm-hmm. and yet still kept the heart of it. This didn't seem like it was anything more than let's just restage it, and because it hasn't been on this New York stage in so long. And I just feel like, yeah, it didn't quite deliver. Unfortunately, it, listen, I didn't hate it. I'm just not sitting here raving about it because I think it was kind of lukewarm. It seemed a little collegiate to me. It yeah. seemed like it wasn't quite done. And it seemed like maybe a, uh, I don't want to say a show doctor or a dramaturg or someone could have come in and maybe cleaned up some of it or maybe, you know, but, but I do kind of agree to, with it. But that leads me to a question, though. Since this writing alone kind of isn't your favorite of Tennessee Williams to begin with, how is this show made better? Like, how does this show deliver? I think, and this is going to sound interesting, Jeff, but stopping the pacing, take a deep breath, hold someone's hand, like, like, like talk, like it just seemed very, and now I'm going to move here and I'm going to save my life. Oh no. And now this person's going to, oh, hold on. So it just seemed chaotic. Just take yeah. a minute. And, and it just seemed like, and trimming. I hate to say it because you never want to like, you know, obviously the Tennessee Williams estate has to approve something like that, for, especially for any production, but for a professional production. Maybe someone could have just trimmed it up a little bit and we could have moved the plot a little bit more. But that once again, there is not much of a plot here. There's not much going on here. 
I, but I've seen Tennessee Williams, or kind of the hot tin roof and glass menagerie. Those, uh, even streetcar named desire are all set in one set locations too. one apartment, one space. And yet those don't feel lagging like this. So something was lagging to me. And I think it was once again, like I said, a mix of the direction, the acting and the writing all mixed together could have all been cleaned up in some way. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's a, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, for sure. So, so um, and, um, one more thing I'll say, uh, when we say someone's on the fence about seeing this, like the night of iguana, what's yeah. the one, two, three on, should you see it? Should you not? What would you recommend someone if they want to maybe go see this? Cause it is playing till the end of February. As much as like, you know, we're kind of on the fence with this show. I do think that there are some moments in here that are still thought it, there's thought provoking theater in here. I mean, the show is not perfect. It has some potential. Um, I mean, I if if you want to see a Tennessee Williams play right now, I would go see it. You know, sure. Right? That's you know, and I, and I also think that Daphne Rubin Vega is great to see on stage. Yeah. You know, I love her. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. That, that would be my one, two, three on yeah. uh, okay. on seeing it, and and to see a beautiful set. Yeah, the set is really pretty. It's really yeah. nice. So. Do you want to add anything? Uh, oh no, my gosh. <laughs> we're almost out of time. What were you going to say? Quick, because we got to wrap uh, up. No, I was going to say, do you want to add anything to that? But Well, I'm going to do that in my wrap up now. So let's kind of do okay, a quick wrap it three, up. two, one wrap up uh, of our <laughs> thoughts on this. Um, not my famous and uh, not my favorite Tennessee Williams play. Don't quite yeah. understand the point of this for the most part. I understand themes. Um, I will always appreciate live theater, especially revivals of old classics. Um Set was great. Design was great. Some of the acting was okay. Um, I, I, I was grateful. Uh, this was a grateful for understudies moment uh, at the ends. And I don't know, just a little lukewarm about it in general. Kind of yeah. how I feel. So there we go. But, uh, and, and you already gave your one, two, three. So. I get mine. So. <laughs> right. Well, that does wrap up our discussion today on this episode. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the night of the iguana. Yes, don't forget, we want to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us on Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast and let us know your thoughts on The Night of the Iguana. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a review. Your feedback helps us bring more theater to you. And remember, you can listen to past episodes and stay tuned for upcoming ones as well. Hmm. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta for now. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.